seems kind of odd that our Christmas series is starting this late. I'm glad you're here for it, but Thanksgiving was kind of early this year, and so it feels like we're already behind the gun. I guess we're not. Uh, they just, you, you would think with Thanksgiving being earlier, things would be calmer, right? There's some stuff I really love about the Christmas season. There's some things I do not like. Like, I went to Menards on Black Friday. Now, now listen, my thinking was, nobody goes to Menards on Black Friday. And then I thought, I'm going at 9.30. I can get in and out, no problem. I went for bird seed, right? I don't know what I was thinking. It was the craziest experience I've ever had in Menards. There were people everywhere, and it was only made worse by the fact that once I got to the store, my wife texted me about picking up extra things, and I left my keys on the back counter in the back corner of the store and only realized it after I got to the truck and had to go through it all again and come out. I ended up with PTSD, post-traumatic shopping disorder. I know that's what I had, right? It was insane. Now, there are some things about this season that I love, and I think the older I get, the more, the more I love it. I love that Christmas is a big deal. I love the celebration, the lights. Um, I, I love how people try to make the time to get together with their family and try to experience at least some sense of unity. They might not pull it off, but they're trying, right? They're trying to do that. I love how it's kind of a break at the end of the year for you to kind of catch your breath and to think about the next year that might be ahead and you have a little bit of reflection time. I love all of that kind of stuff. Probably um, as I'm getting older, the thing that I love the most is that I'm, I'm starting to understand that this time of Christmas, uh, God started some pretty significant things that were meant to show up and be available in our lives all the time. And sometimes we need to be reminded at Christmas time, like, for instance, joy. That, that's something that God started at Christmas time. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are, but it's available for you all the time. And yet, the way we talk about it, joy has almost become a seasonal thing. Why do you think that is? I think it's because joy competes with all the other things that go on in our lives, all the difficulties, all the struggles, all the failures that we have. It competes, and that kind of stuff grabs our attention and holds our focus. Doesn't matter how big or small it is, it just it takes it away. You can have a, just a cold or another sickness that you've been dealing with, and it holds your attention. It could be stress. This, and the stress could be anything. It could be that you look at your calendar and it's booked from morning till night, and you don't know how you're gonna survive the pace of all of that. And that and that's your life right now. It could be the stress of something going on with a relationship that you have or something's happening with a kid and you don't know how to solve that. And so it's on your mind all the time. It could be the stress of wanting to find somebody that's worth dating and you've been looking and it's just not happening. And so there's all kinds of kind of stressors that come into our lives or maybe it's just a strain, right, a financial strain in your life where at this time of year people are talking about being generous and you'd like to be. In fact, you have a desire to be generous, but you just don't see how you can pull it off at this point. And 
it kind of stinks for you and you feel the pressure of that. And then along comes Christmas, right? It's kind of a break. It's, it's kind of this moment where you can reflect on some of the good that God's doing in your life. And you, you see it. And you think about it. And, and you get to experience this moment with your family, even if it's just this tiny, sweet little moment. And for you, it causes a sense of joy. And you're reminded. I mean, some of you can resonate with this, right? Just go crazy, crazy, crazy. And then you have this little time where God reminds you of things and your life is filled with joy. Some of you, you're hearing me say all of this, and honestly, you're looking at the difficulties, the struggles, the failures that you've had. You felt like you've let people down. You don't feel like you've been enough. And you haven't experienced a sense of joy in a long time, and you're not sure you could get there. Here, here's the truth. You're not alone. What's interesting about the Christmas story, which is what I want to take you guys to and look at, is that there were people in the Christmas story who were all part, it's, I find it fascinating, God used all of these seemingly disconnected groups of people, these disconnected stories, to bring together this moment where God would come to earth. I, I, I'm calling it a chain reaction. He started, he started all of these little things that ended up creating a chain reaction where joy would be available for you and me. It would work its way through 2,000 years of history and be available on your doorstep right now. And what's interesting is those people who were involved in that chain reaction story struggled with experiencing joy themselves. I mean, it was, it was offered... It was right there. Some of them got there faster than others. But some of them had a real hard time getting to it. Now, um, when, I, when I think of their stories and calling it a chain reaction, I understand it creates a small problem. Because sometimes when we think of chain reaction, uh, we think of this small little video that I'm about to show you. Okay, so we're going to run this thing. And you're going to see... This, um, this is not US-20. Oh, look it. Who's that guy? Right? This, um, you're going to be able to identify your driving style here real quick, okay? This, uh, this video, by the way, goes on for 18 minutes. Um, we're just going to show you a little part of it. And it looks like, oh, we got a little trouble. This is not US-20. It could be US-20 because you've seen people drive like that on US 20, boing, right? Right into the side, another person. Oh, this is gonna go on for a while, right? Yeah, truck, what are you thinking? Oh no, he's gonna miss him. It's okay, it's okay. There's some okay drivers out there. By the way, do you see the guy standing outside on his car? Yeah, not the smartest thing that you've done in your life. There are missiles coming in. Oh, look, it just dawned on them. They're not being smart. They're going to start running soon. Yeah, by the way, it's three minutes. Is it over? No. Look, um, this is how my wife would drive, right? She's going to slow down, slow down, slow down. Bing, hit that little bumper. That's not me. Me, I'm coming in next. Where am I? Where am I? I'm this, I'm this car right here. No, no. He's a special car. He 
No, I'm none of those. I'm none of those. I'm the guy who thinks if I keep my speed up, I can get through this. Right? That, that's what I'm thinking. He's not on the scene yet, but he's coming. Oh, he's not? He was my favorite. He came flying in, tried to weave through them, bounced off the cars, shot off the, <laughs> off the hill, down, and it was snow. I loved it. I was like, that's what I would do. And that's what we think of when we think of chain reaction, right? Cars piling up all over the place, or we think of it like this. You have an interaction with somebody. They're having a bad day, and they take it out on you. And now you're feeling bad, and so you take that home, or you take that to work, and you take it out on somebody there. And they take it to home or to work, and they take it out on somebody there. And the chain reaction just kind of spreads. You've been there, right? You've probably said something like this. I wouldn't have done that unless they. And you're describing this kind of chain reaction that's happened in your life. Well, here's the thing. See, it's quite possible for a chain reaction to be positive, too. What if that person ran into you and you were a person who expressed joy? What if you set their life in a different direction because of the way you were acting or responding? I want to tell you right now, this is the story of Jesus. It's exactly what he was trying to do. And although the people in the story that were trying to launch Jesus into his chain reaction that would affect you and I, he was trying to bring about joy in their lives too. And I want you to see some of the stuff that had to happen because I think we can learn from their lives and find a way to pull that into our lives today to make joy something that we adopt, something that we choose as well. So I want to start with Zechariah. Um, we've talked about him in the past. Zechariah is a priest. He takes up all of Luke chapter 1. It must be a pretty important part of his story. He's an older guy. And if, if anybody has a whole pile of difficulties to look at, it's this guy. There were so many priests at this time in history that they would actually draw lots to determine who would receive this honorary thing of being able to go in and light incense where nobody else was able to go in. And so um, for years and years and years, by the way, we don't know how old Zachariah is. Church history, some that kind of stuff tells us he was likely in his 90s. So he's gone a lifetime never being chosen for that honor. Going home disappointed year after year after year. He's married to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth hasn't been able to have kids. That's a heartache in and of itself. But you have to understand, in this culture, in this day and age... When you went for 10 years with a spouse that didn't get pregnant, it was assumed, see, we know better, we're from a modern culture, we know that maybe she didn't get pregnant because of something that was going on with Zachariah, but in their culture, it was the woman's fault. She was to blame every time, and you were expected to divorce her. So it's not just that you had the heartache of not having kids, he now has this person that he's loved, that he's getting pressure to divorce her. And for some reason, somehow, 
He's withstood that pressure for years, 60, 70 years. He's been with her and has chosen not to divorce. And it's also why there's more heartache as well. They've, they've reached a time in their lives when having more kids is just not going to happen. Now, uh, they think Elizabeth might have been 88, that he was in his 90s when this unfolded in his life. This wasn't on their radar. Now, this is what happens. <laughs> he gets chosen by lot. He's going to enter the holy holies. He's going to burn incense. He's going to be greatly honored. And while he's in there, an angel shows up to him and says, you're going to have a son. Like all of these things that are disappointments to him, they're getting taken care of all in one fell swoop. This is good news. And yet, this is how Zechariah responds. This is verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I know you're giving me good news. And, and you would expect, you would think maybe the response of joy would be in here somewhere. It's not to be found. It's not Zachariah's first thought. Zachariah is still thinking about all the impossibilities and what he doesn't understand is what God's trying to do. God says, listen, I want to use your family to, to get a prophet that will come before Jesus, prepares people's hearts and minds for him. It's your son. He's going to do this. I, I want to do this miracle pregnancy for Elizabeth because when Mary comes to visit her, she's going to be the only person on earth who can look Mary in the eye and say, a miracle pregnancy? I understand and I believe you. Only person who could do that. God was getting ready to change all of Israel, to change all the world. And he was being invited into that story. And instead of being able to see the possibilities, he saw the impossibilities. Listen, God wanted him to have a sense of joy about his place in that story. If you doubt it, you can go up four verses. The angel is telling him all about what's going to happen with his son. And in verse 14, he, the angel says this, He, your son, John, will be a joy and delight to you. Not just to you. Many others will rejoice because of his birth. The birth of this baby is going to create waves of joy all over the place. And it's going to be a joy for you and Elizabeth too. Despite the hardship that you might be facing, you have a chance for joy. And if you're not thinking this is hardship, think about this for just a second. They're about to have a baby in their 80s. Our grandson comes and visits for a day, and we need nursing care after he's gone, right? It's exhausting. But they're going to have that, they're going to have this baby at that age. And listen, because they're so old, they will never see this young baby growing to be a young man who serves God's kingdom the way John did. They're never going to get a chance to see that. And easily, they could have been focused on all that they lost, 
all that they missed out on in their younger years, all that they would lose out on as they got older and wouldn't see him come to full ministry. They were going to miss all of that. And yet, the scriptures record towards the end of chapter 1 that Zechariah is full of joy. So full of joy, he writes a song. Verses 68 through 79, he writes a song because he's exuberant. How did he get there? <laughs> the hard way. God says, for nine months, you're not going to talk. Because if all you can focus on is the doubts that you have in your mind, I want to give you some time to reflect. I want to give you some time to think about what I'm doing in the world and how I've come to use your family and when he finally gets his voice back, he uses it to express the amount of joy that's in his heart. Because sometimes, in order to take a hold of the joy that's right there for us to have, you've got to have some time to quietly reflect about what God is doing in your life. So that's number one. Sometimes, for you to take hold of this thing that's available for you right now, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you may need some time to reflect. There's another group. They have a brush with joy as well. History records that Jesus has already been born, and a host of angels get sent. Um, a host. Uh, it means it's so large, too many to count. We have no idea, so host. And it had to have been terrifying. In fact, it was. We know it was because the angel starts by talking to the shepherds by saying this. This is in um, Luke, 20, or Luke 2, 20. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know there's a lot of us, but I want you to catch this next thing. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, these shepherds. These shepherds were probably unique shepherds. I, I think there's enough um, historical evidence to suggest that these were temple shepherds, which means they were, they were raising sheep for the sacrifices um, in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem. So they, they had kind of an outpost there where they did that. Those sheep would have gone. And so these might have been trained men. These were not like normal shepherds, although it, it was still a pretty, pretty rough job. Um, but the fact that they're... They might have been more religious in nature. What, what the angels just said here would have been a problem for them. They said joy to all people. Religious Jews believed that the Messiah would come back and make things right for Israel. And if it was to make things right for Israel, that means the Romans would have to go. They would have to be destroyed. This not, they're not going to be full of joy. Israel's going to be full of joy. But that's not what the scripture says. And these guys at least had enough curiosity to go and, and find out what the angels were talking about. They go into Jerusalem. Or they go into Bethlehem. They're, they're talking to people. They talk to people after they see Jesus. This is what the scriptures record about the shepherd's experience. In verse 20 of Luke 2, the shepherds return, glorifying God, praising God, that, I, joy, right? They're full of joy. For all that they had heard and seen, which they had just been told. Why did they experience joy? Look, these, these guys are in a rough job. 
If you understood the life of a shepherd, they were secluded from their communities. They were most likely very lonely. There is a taxing job. Taking care of sheep is hard work. They're very needy. These guys had it rough. And yet, they returned to that. They returned to their lives glorifying and praising. Why? The scripture says because of what they had seen and heard. See, sometimes in order to take hold of the joy that's right there and available for you, you've got to slow down long enough. These guys broke routine. They kind of did something else. And because of that, what they saw and what they heard verified that God was doing something that they could be a part of. And they saw how God was active. And based on what they had heard and what they had seen, it resulted in joy. Sometimes we go at a pace that is so fast that God, who is trying to break through and help you see and hear things, can't get your attention. But if you could, if you could hear from him, if you could see what he was doing in your life, it'd be something that could cause joy. You could take a hold of that. There's one more group I want to look at. And maybe their hardship's going to be hard to understand. Uh, they seem to have pretty good lives, the magi, right? Uh, the, the best we can guess is that these were probably uh, trained people from when Daniel was in Babylon. That over time, teaching on the Messiah got passed down and passed down and passed down. And these people were looking for this prophecy to become true and, and were staring at the scars. And... And God gave them a sign that his prophecy was, in fact, happening. Now, if, if they were from Babylon, they're a couple months' travel time away, which sounds rough in and of itself. We don't know if they walked. We don't know if they took camels. But it gets worse because we know what they followed. What did they follow? A star. When do you follow a star? At night. You don't travel at night in the ancient world unless you want to die. But if these guys wanted to follow through on this thing that they believed was happening, they had to risk themselves. And for several months, they traveled in the evening tracking this star. They made it to Jerusalem. And they asked, where, where can we find this king of the Jews? And they had to do some work there. And then they understand that it's in Bethlehem. As they go to Bethlehem, the star rests over the place where Jesus was at. And this is what's said. This is in Matthew, chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They, they didn't just have some joy. They were filled with joy. Which, I, I mean, I honestly, I get part of that. They worked really hard for a long period of time to get there. You've, got, you've reached the end of the goal. But the scriptures don't indicate that they hung out for a long period of time. It looks like... They were there long enough to drop off gifts, maybe stay the night, get a vision, and leave. That's a long round trip for a short little thing. Uh, at the end of Thanksgiving, uh, we had one of our sons ask us if we'd be willing to drive him back to Bloomington. That's a seven-hour round trip so that he could stay at our house one day. He had a ride with a friend, and he wanted us to drive him instead. What did we say? No! Right? Go ride with your friend. That's a seven-hour round trip. That's hardship, right? These guys are going months 
months in dangerous conditions. Why were they overjoyed? Because they knew God was at work. They knew it. They've been given a sign and they got to show up and see this thing is for real. God's at work. In fact, I don't think these guys understood their piece of the puzzle at all. They go back to wherever they were from and Joseph has a dream warning him that he's got to leave. He's got to go get out of there because Jesus isn't safe anymore. So they flee to Egypt. How? Does this family who's living in a poor little town afford to move to a foreign country and survive there? Have you ever considered that the resources for that were just delivered to their home by the Magi? God took care of it. See, the, the Magi didn't fully understand their place in the story. They just knew God was at work. And because he was at work, they were filled with joy. I just want to suggest to you that if you can stop long enough to understand that God is still at work in your story, that something is still going on that you can be a part of, it's a thing that can fill your life with joy. It doesn't matter what else is happening. Joy becomes this thing that's available for you. I, I got to get up close and personal with this concept. Because uh, the week of Thanksgiving, I pulled a me. What does that mean? Yeah. I, I had a project to do. And the, the prices that came in for this project were so high that I said, I will do it myself. Right? I do this kind of thing. Now, what I meant was I'm going to do it myself and pressure my boys into helping with me. Right? I had never done a project. Um, I've, I've done these things before. But I had never done a roof in winter, and I had never done a roof this steep before. You actually had to tack boards on so that you could stand on the roof and not slide off. Dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. There was ice and snow on the roof for two of those days. Yeah, there, there's me at the top. That's four layers of scaffolding just to get up there. And then you get the boards, and then you'd have to crawl up the roof and then kind of slide down, catch on the board, crawl back up, and do that sort of thing. Dumbest thing I've ever done. And we ran into problem after problem after problem. I lost a whole day just running into different problems that we were having. And I had planned on getting the whole house done in three days. I think we got an eighth of it done in three days. Now, I wasn't thrilled. And I'm preparing to talk on joy, right? And what's in my mind are all the difficulties I've had with that project. I mean, it was overwhelming. And on a ride home on Tuesday night, uh, we went a different way. We uh, took a load of stuff up to a dump in Michigan and then we traveled on US 12 to come home, and I had three of the boys in the truck with me, and we started driving past um, places where they'd lived, school that they had gone to, and they started reminiscing, and they were like chatterboxes, which wasn't normal. We would get in the, in the truck and try to just warm up, because we were up on the roof getting blown on all day. Like it, and they, they just started like chatter, 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 chatter. 
And, and I was just quiet. And I realized in that moment some pretty big, some pretty big things. I realized that despite all the junk that we were going through, God had gifted me with some young men. They're, they're not mine. They're his. But they're a big part of my life. And, um, and I realized that we were out there doing a project that we'll probably never, ever do again. Two of them are about to graduate from college. They're going to go to the wind. We're not going to get to spend that kind of time with each other again. And, and the other thing uh, that I realized was that they had every opportunity to say, I'll pass on this. I'm on break. I need to rest. And they chose to go out in freezing weather. Only one of them was smart. Well, I don't know if he was smart enough. Only one got on the roof. The other two passed an intelligence test, right? They would get to the edge and they're like, that's never happening. But still... They had willing hearts to come out and serve. They were carrying shingles up four layers of, of scaffolding. And I realized in that moment that I was incredibly blessed. Here's the thing. It was a miserable, terrible, awful job. And I was filled with joy. Because when I was quiet enough to reflect, when I could see what God was doing in the lives of my kids, when I could be grateful that I thought he was still working, like he'd grown in them hearts that were willing to serve, not just me. I know they do that with their friends too. And it gave me like some sense of gladness that this is going to keep going. God's still at work in their lives, and I don't know where he's going to take them but this was good. See, I don't, I don't know what difficulty you have in front of you right now. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Like it will hold your attention. And what you may have to do is find a time. And Christmas offers that opportunity. It's a, it's a break in the routine. You may have to find some time to reflect. You may have to find some time to think about what you've seen and heard about God doing stuff in your life. You may have to just look around and understand that God is still at work writing your story. He's a part of your story, and he's not finished with you. And because of that, your source of joy comes from being connected to God through Jesus. And it's available for you right now. Before I pray for you, here's what I'd like to do. I want to give you just 30 seconds to be quiet. 30 seconds to reflect on the stuff that God has given into your life that's a blessing to you. I want you to think about what God's doing in your heart and in your life. I want you to think about what you've heard and seen from the Spirit of God. And to choose joy. Because of that, as, as I give you 30 seconds, if the band and the um, choral group would come up, that'd be great. 30 seconds. If you would just quietly um, bow your head and then I'll pray.